Are you ready to have an open and honest discussion about sex and spiritual wellness without secrets, censorship, or barriers? This is Unbuckled with your host, Christy Ann Bella. In this program, there are no topics that are off the table, from religion to health, feelings to sexuality. Get ready to hear from some incredible people. And now, here's Christy Ann Bella. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect, and today we are unbuckling some beautiful, insightful wisdom and um, on a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, as, as those of you know who have been following me and my work. Um, sexual abuse trauma was an experience that I lived through, and it is uh, such a gift, I think, to share our stories and unite and connect and help survivors with the tools and the resources that they need. And so with me today is a very special guest, Stacy Glass. Hi, Stacy. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so I do want to uh, preface that, uh, yes, this this will be a show with great resources and tools. And if you need more support, um, you can always go to rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N.org as a sexual abuse survivor uh, network and support group. Um, and if you are a victim of trauma that needs more immediate assistance, you can also call the uh, here in the United States, the sexual abuse hotline, which is 800 800- Six five six four six seven three. So um, be sure to take care of yourself and know that there are resources out there for you. So uh, yeah, I you and I connected via Instagram. Gotta love social media for making our world a smaller place um, and uniting us. And I'm so excited to talk with you um, because, as I said, yeah, this is this is something that I've lived through, and um, I think there's such an empowerment in sharing our stories because I feel like one of the biggest challenges that comes with sexual abuse trauma is shame and this shame and this guilt and this blame that causes us to retreat and hide. Um, and that sort of secrecy, I think is what breeds this continuing pattern of abuse. So I, I absolutely commend you for, for coming forward, for sharing your story, um, and helping to empower other people And I loved one of the things that you said in your um, little pre-interview form was the healing isn't outside of you. It's, it's within you. It is within you, the ability to heal. Um, so I would love to hear how you began your journey of, of healing. Yeah. Um, so I would say I've officially been starting the process for over 10 years Um, So I was um, abused around the age of 11, 12, 13. And it was, I think it was age 26 when I finally, like there was several times that I would try to open the lid. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's how I would describe it of this box that you try and contain it in because it's just too too painful to let it out. So you you try and keep that lid Mm -hmm. on. But there's one thing I've learned is that you can't contain it because Mm -hmm. it's just so powerful the emotions that you try and suppress and so I was 26 when I finally found you know I think it was like an accumulation of times Mm -hmm. where you know I would tell someone and then they would say oh tell me more and then I'd try and shut down again so it was just an accumulation of times where I suppose you just get that little bit braver each time Mm -hmm. And one thing I really talk about is how important it is when you disclose abuse of Mm -hmm. how it's received, because 
that is powerful. That really determines what you do or don't do next. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with me is that the first time I, tr- I told um, my mom, actually, um, I wasn't believed and mm-hmm. I wasn't taken seriously. And so it wasn't stopped. And right. then I just shut it down. Um, and that happened a couple of more times. It wasn't really received in the way that it was supportive. And it has a massive impact because then yeah. that is your trajectory for healing. You know, it's either you start sooner or you you start later. Mm-hmm. And there's many people that that don't start the healing journey either ever or later in life. And that's because it's so painful. And so I definitely honour people that keep it within and are able to for so long because it's really tough. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, 10 years is what I would say officially. And I I had talking therapy probably for six years on and off. Um, But one thing I'm quite clear about is that I don't think we ever achieve the status of healed. Mm -hmm. We are constantly healing. It's a constant process and everyone's journey will look different and that's okay. Absolutely. It is. It's so true. I, I've never met two people whose whose path has been the same. Um, we all find our own way to to navigate out of this this shadow energy of, of this experience into whether it's just you're functioning and you're coping, um, or whether you you end up speaking about it, or in your case, you write a book, which um, is incredibly powerful. So the book is Life After Sexual Abuse, A Practical Healing Toolkit to Reconnect to the Body, Mind, and Soul. And um, I think that's an important aspect that for me was was vital, was beyond just talk therapy, um, was to get physical with it, to get somatic, to get to the the spiritual, energetic, emotional side of things. Um, and I was talking with somebody recently about, you know, just like interesting patterns that that form of of trust, um, of hesitancy, um, like you were saying, like, you know, to disclose things like I... I'm someone who is very adverse to secrets. Like if I know somebody is keeping even what seems to be a mundane secret about um, something that would even seemingly be joyful, like, oh, I got somebody a surprise thing. And I'm just like, I don't like to be a part of secrets. Like it's something that I have like a deep aversion to because to me, secrets are still under that umbrella of something is wrong. Something's bad is happening that, you know, um, so it's an interesting thing to look at the patterns Um yeah, you know, trust with, uh, you know, thank God I'm self-employed because I always had a hard time trusting bosses, uh, trusting anyone in authority. Um, so I think it's important to to be willing to, in the unpacking of things, to see stuff that sometimes doesn't even have anything to do directly with sex. You know, I think the most obvious stuff that comes up for us um, when reclaiming our sexuality after trauma is okay. Well, how do I have a better sex life where I feel safe? But I, I think, you know, there's a, a, a whole spider web of things that kind of unfold in your ability to, to be in relationship to yourself and other people when you've experienced this kind of trauma. So what was one of the first steps for you in reclaiming your sexuality? I would say that Reclaiming my sexuality is something that's come later on in my healing. And and I fully, I wrote this in my book, which only, I only wrote this year, that it's still a part of me that I am reclaiming. Like mm-hmm. this is the part of the healing that I'm going through now. 
Um, and so for me, that was a part that has come a lot later on. And so the mind and body elements, aside from the sexual element, were the things that I really needed to focus on. And as you alluded to there was you have to feel safe in the present and you have to feel safe in your body. And so for me, those were the things that I needed to do first before I could get to the point where I could be. I think for me, it was because I don't know if this is similar to you because it happened in childhood as well, but because when trauma happens, it's so determining of sexuality for you because you're developing as a child so Mm -hmm. it shaped you you know you shouldn't have had those experiences Mm -hmm. at that time when your brain was developing Mm -hmm. and so for me I find that I'm having to unpick things that are so automatic um, in terms of I'll give you an example so one of my first um, partners I had when Mm -hmm. the first time we had sex together he laughed at me because I got into bed with clothes on Mm. and that's because his experiences was not that but Mm -hmm. my experience was well I'm not I'm not safe to take my clothes off you know I need to get into bed with my clothes on Mm -hmm. and so when it happens in childhood it shapes you Mm -hmm. in your experiences and it becomes normal like what happened to you is your norm not that it is normal of course but it's normal to you and so it's really having to look at all the things that you see as normal and really redefining them Mm -hmm. and the question is is now for me is what do I want my sexuality to be Mm -hmm. how do I want to feel and taking that power back because that's what sexual abuse is it's a complete power removal from you of, of you as a person so yeah if I'm, I'm completely honest about this that for me the sexuality part is what's coming later on in my right. healing and I suppose it looks different for everybody you know in, in how what comes when yeah. um and yeah I think for me it was the other elements were getting to the point of being safe where I am mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important. Like you said, you, to just even be safe in your body is a, is a really vital piece of the foundation before you can even think about having sexual connection with somebody else is, is just to feel safe in your own body. Um, because it, it is, it's so true. It, I think it's such a misconception that people have about the idea of sexual abuse is that it it it's sexual as if like the sexuality is the, it's like, that is not the driving motion. The driving motion is, is power. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's typically people who have also been abused in some other way and feel powerless and feel victimized and want to, um, to, to feel powerful, to feel in control, to feel, you know, in my case, um, I, I equated a lot to wanting to, um, to have this, this power over innocence and wanting to take back, you know, um, the sense of, of, of purity and innocence that's associated with, with children, um, that somebody was feeling so starved for that, that that was, you know, the, this idea of having power and being able to, to take a hold of that, um, that, yeah, that, you know, it, it's not something that someone's like, sexually turned on and and you know this this is not how that that works um and so yeah so i think the the ability to connect into your body that 
then feels like it isn't yours anymore, right? There's like this, this story that comes with that of, you know, unworthiness and, and conflict and, um, and just feeling, yeah, like I, I definitely went through a period of feeling like disgusted with myself and, um, and, you know, going through, um, addiction cycles because of just like not wanting to be in the body and feeling, um, in that sense of, of unworthiness that my body somehow deserved to be in pain and, and, and the suffering, like you were talking about, like the things that aren't normal become normal. Like, you know, my body being in, in a state of physical pain and discomfort was normal. So if that wasn't happening, I was like creating it because I'm like, there's something missing. And it's like, well, the thing that's missing shouldn't have been there in the first place. So yeah. So there's a lot to unpack and unravel when it comes to like this idea of embodiment and being back in your body. Um, so I love, as you mentioned, you know, the book is, is tools, um, that go through the body, mind and, and, soul. And so on a physical state, what was something that helped you begin? What was a tool that helped begin the embodiment process for you? I think it was connected. This is going to sound really bizarre, but I know that it's not in the context we're talking about, but I didn't have that body, and it's because of that dissociation like you've just referred to that as well, mm-hmm. is that to get through such an experience, you have to come out of your body yeah. and go somewhere else for you to get through that experience mm-hmm. and so a big thing for me was getting back into my body and realizing that they're connected you know yeah. yes like the mind is so powerful that it's mm-hmm. able to do right. that as a as a coping mechanism it's so powerful but equally it's you know when you're healing it's got to be okay we need to bring them back together mm-hmm. because they're not disconnected um and so trauma shows up in the body and for me it was IBS symptoms I had mm-hmm. really bad signs in the stomach mm-hmm. and that's very typical IBS yep. um and so movement was a huge thing mm-hmm. and I know I would say it wasn't until sort of recent years where I've done a lot more research that I've understood about moving trauma through the body mm-hmm. I don't think it was a real conscious thing that I was doing but in the early days of therapy I would do mm-hmm. yoga um, and I would do um yeah so I would do exercise and yoga um but it was a real way of getting present and a conscious effort to bring body and mind together so you know you you were saying about somatic therapy and again it's only recently that I've really learned about that and again that's the the reason why I wanted to write a book where I pull all these things together Mm -hmm. so that it's in one place and it's essentially the book that I wish that I had 10 years ago of you know these are things that could help you it's it's not saying follow the book and at the end you will feel like a different person it's more of a I describe it as like a permission to be Mm. as you are to go at your own pace to pause when you need to Mm -hmm. and also just to explore different things you know the suggestions I make you might try and not like them but at least it's given it's opening up different ways or different alternatives Absolutely. That's so important. I think, yeah, permission to be curious about yourself and to be curious and willing to, um, to, to explore and to trust the intuitive side, which I think when you do have that disassociation and disconnection from, from the body, mind, spirit, um, to be able to trust your intuition 
is is a journey into itself um because like you were saying you were moving even before you necessarily knew the the science behind somatic it's just like you knew to move your body you knew that this this was doing something to help re- relax the body to reduce the stress that adds to the IBS and and how much that's connected in and and so yeah so oftentimes like our body does want to help guide us back to being here, to being present with it. Um, and so it's, it's that journey to begin to trust yourself again, to begin to trust that relationship. I love that you mentioned that about the intuition side, because you're right that, you know, you do naturally do these things without consciously understanding Mm -hmm. them. And that's why I talk about the soul or spirit element in Mm -hmm. the book, because what you've just said there about learning you can trust yourself again because abuse makes you think it's your fault Mm -hmm. you know the blame is such a big part that you learn well I think you embody a a mistrust for yourself because you think even as a child you think well I I shouldn't have let that happen Mm -hmm. I should have done something differently or it was me it's because Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with me Mm -hmm. and so that mistrust is what I I describe it as a disconnection from self and so there's that disconnection mind and body but then there's also that disconnection of who you are at your Mm -hmm. essence of who who are you you know trauma isn't who we are but when it's still so heavily packed within Mm -hmm. you think that it is Mm -hmm. and so I love that you you brought that into it about that intuition because your intuition is still there even if you don't trust it yet (laughs) you know it's a learning process Absolutely. I love that you mentioned the the essence of self, because I think that's so important, whether or not you see it in a a religious God way or in a a universe way, like whatever you want to call that, like spirit, soul. There is this this thing, this this consciousness that is beyond our physical self, that that is something more that cannot be harmed to some degree. You know, it's like that, that essence part of ourself, the, the divine love or, you know, whatever language you want to give to it, um, is untouchable that, that pure spark of self, um, is not affected by what happens to the, the physical self and the mind. And, and so to return to that place and, and tap into that, that part of you that is, yeah, realizes that you don't need to identify with the trauma. Like the trauma was an experience. It isn't inherently who you are. Like inherently who you are is something that we have a hard time describing in words, you know, like philosophers and people have been at this for thousands of years trying to give language to to something that is far too big for language. Um, and so that that essence of, of, of being is, uh, yeah, to be able to connect back into that space and and to have peace with it, you know, to, to kind of welcome that, that relationship back again. I think it was, it was a huge part on my journey and and I've seen it in a lot of people that I work with as well of, of that being even people who don't have trauma of just like that peace coming in to realize that, that all of this is like, it's great. We constructed stories and ideas and, and stuff that we do, but these, this isn't inherently who we are. It's it's actions we take and um and they're beautiful and you know it's it's why we came to play on the earth planet. <laughs> but yeah, but there's there's something greater going on here. Um and so you hold monthly survivor circles. 
which I love. I think that's so important to be able to, to be around people who have a similar language, have a similar experience and can, um, hold space together. So we'll be sure to, um, get everybody ways to reach you. Um, so on Instagram, it is underscore Stacy. That's S T A C I E glass G L A S S underscore. So underscore Stacy glass underscore on Instagram. And you can find her uh, directly on her website, Stacy dash glass.com. And you've had experience beyond, um, because you're like midwife, you've done neuro-linguistic programming, intuitive Reiki. So there's a lot of nurturing and empowerment that comes with this that I'm, I'm sure benefits the people that get to be in, in these circle spaces to, to feel seen and heard. What has it been like for you to hold that container for people? Oh, it's just something I've wanted to do for so long. Cause it be, again, going back to my own experience, I, I, did have I had specialist therapy from a charity that were specialists in um, sexual trauma mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that because I know it's not the case uh, particularly in the UK it's a bit patchy across the country so mm-hmm. what you can get in one part is not what you can get in mm-hmm. another part and so they did hold um, monthly events where typically you would do a task so it could be art it could be mm-hmm. um, go to the cinema and that's nice. But what I wanted to do is to have a space, especially with like an, a pandemic, yeah. is that you can't always meet in, in person. And so that's why at the moment I do hold them online. But I wanted a space where people could come and there's an inherent knowing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to tell people what your experience right. is. You don't have to go through the details of what you've been through. You just turn up. And you can be exactly as you are and it can be a space to share if you want to and share tips of, well, this helps me with this or this. But otherwise, it could just be a place to listen. You know, I feel from my own experience from early days where you don't feel like you're confident in sharing your voice. It could just be a place that you come and you just sit in in the energy of being with like-minded people that have experienced something so similar to you and just being that presence I think that in itself is comforting because I'm sure this is the case for you that you hear so often that it's so lonely when you Mm -hmm. don't know because you you know people don't talk about it so you don't know who the other survivors are (laughs) and so it's so incredibly lonely and that was one of my main intentions of doing the book is that I want people to know that they're not alone and that you know there is more after Mm trauma. and so that was a big driver for me is that I wanted connection with other people and to not have to be anything else you know you turn up and you know it takes a while to really feel that you're worthy mm-hmm. of healing but just yeah. to turn up to something like that is showing yourself that I'm ready you know I'm ready to start to put a step in front of the other oh that is so important because like you were saying earlier you know oftentimes we're not believed I, I I had a similar situation where you know I would say something and it was it was dismissed and so I think just to be in a space where even if you're not sharing your story, there is this overall, like you were saying, this knowing this, this trust that like, I'm believed my experience was real. And I'm in a place where 
I don't even have to talk about it, but I know that people trust that I, you know, I, I, I'm not alone, right? You see that, yeah, that, you know, you're not the only one, um, which I think is a wonderful reminder and like, it isn't our fault, you know, um, and that, yeah, that absolutely that, that your truth is real, that your story, your experience is real and it is valid. And so I think that validation of, of being around people who, who understand that is just so vital in, in that moving forward of, of, I think, you know, we talk a lot about this idea of like the hero's journey and I think there's a victim's journey and like, and you need, you know, to, to, before you can go through the, the hero's aspect of stuff is to be able to be validated as the victim, to be witnessed and seen and heard and recognize that you aren't the only one and that you didn't do anything to deserve this, that there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and that in order to kind of get past the idea of, of identifying with trauma, you have to first allow yourself to be in that space of being genuinely witnessed and, and acknowledged. And yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. That is a huge part of, because for me for so long, I wasn't even able to speak what, you know, because you keep it inside for so long when you do at last start to share it. Um, <laughs> it's really learning to, to really, fully recognize what you experience that mm. is a huge thing I couldn't say for a long time that I was raped I mm. couldn't say it I just couldn't mm -hmm. and when I tried to say anything what had happened I'd just cry the mm. tears just I just remember for the first six months yeah. of therapy just cried I couldn't mm. talk I just cried mm -hmm. and that's what you've just said there is just giving it space mm -hmm. to be fully seen and fully validated because for so long other people definitely haven't validated us, but we haven't validated ourselves because yeah. it's just so scary and mm -hmm. the the fear of not being believed. Mm -hmm. So you, in a way, I think you convince yourself it didn't happen. You know, mm -hmm. there's certainly a lot of people suppress mm -hmm. it in that way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that is the first step of healing for sure. It's the hardest step yeah. because you, to acknowledge it and to see mm -hmm. it, you have to feel the pain and it's, not nice but it's the it's the first step yeah it, you know i i'm in the process of redoing you know website and wording and and something i've been really drawn on is this idea of like excavating before you can build something new you really do need to excavate and and dig up and it is it's you know it's it like in a literal way when you think about it, it's like yeah you're in there it's like dirty it's it's gross you're like oh my god what is this and it's like you know um but it is a vital part and, and the willingness to be in that mucky, uncomfortable place um, ultimately is what, what does create the freedom and the comfort and the, the expansion of empowerment. Um, but yeah, you know, in, in the new age communities, we call it the dark night of the soul. You know, I think we all have different language for it, but I've definitely found that being in that temporary discomfort was far better than this overall like heavy weight of of shame and discomfort that I was in when I was trying to pretend that it wasn't real or didn't happen um, and in that state of denial. Yeah, did you have a similar? Oh, absolutely. I think I, I'd probably describe it as like living in a permanent flat line of mm -hmm. because you're burying everything and you've got yeah. this you know numbness to emotions and then you go through periods of depression and you don't know why and so you just live in this constant low level not really living you know mm -hmm. it's just 
it's just surviving mm-hmm. isn't it mm-hmm. and then as you say like you excavate and I love that term because actually because it's so deeply buried because mm-hmm. you've done so well at hiding it from other people and you're hiding it from yourself that it is deeply suppressed so mm-hmm. I love that idea of excavating because you have to get deep it's mm-hmm. you've you've worked so hard at suppressing you're gonna have to pull that out really from deep down and yeah it's it's definitely that <sighs> it's a, it's more intense when you start undi- um, digging uncovering but as you say it's it's worth it because at the other side of it you'll feel so much lighter and freer to to live a life that you deserve actually not not to live in this lower state of mm-hmm. zombiness I don't know if yeah. there's a better way of describing it but you know you just walk around this is from my experience I just walked around in I, you know, I, I could achieve and I was achieving in my life, but I wasn't feeling, you know, deep down, I was just feeling dead. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. You know, if you put the work in to really heal, you don't, you're not dead inside, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, cause I think, you know, for me, it was, it was like a defense thing. I thought like, okay, well, if I don't really feel anything, then I'm somehow keeping myself from being vulnerable, exposed. Um, what I called, I considered myself like the weak gazelle, like there, there must've been, you know, so if I showed any kind of weakness, then I was a target, but then that was keeping me from really experiencing the fullness of joy, the fullness of love, the fullness of passion and creation and, and all the wonderful aspects of life, because I had everything kind of like you were saying this, like numb, turned down, zombie experience. And so it was just so frustrating because I would see, I would go someplace and and then, you know, friends would text and be like, Oh, we had such a great time. And I love you all so much. And this is amazing. And I'm like, I feel none of this. And I was pissed. (laughs) And I was like, this is not fair. Um, so yeah. So the willingness to be like, okay, like this is part of it. Like part of it is, is, is being willing to, to go out there and be vulnerable and, and open myself up to feel all of the feelings and then I get to experience the the great joys of life. And I know that, you know, there are challenges in life as well, but I feel like I have so many tools now to navigate that, that like, I'm, I don't live in fear of what might happen anymore. I'm, I'm just really like present to, to my experience. And, um, and it's a fascinating thing. You know, I've certainly noticed a pattern in, and just not, uh, attracting things that validate. Once I validated the fact that I had an experience that was a victim experience. I didn't need to attract things that that kept putting me in a victim experience because I I had validated it for myself. So I wasn't looking for external things to be like, see, see how messed up that is. Um, that other people would would give that to me. It was like, no, I've I've owned my experience, and so I can move forward and not create unnecessary chaos just to prove I can survive it um yeah that was a huge shift for me yeah I think it's so true that the mind because the mind wants familiarity so you know the abuse cycle is you know for me when I started to be sexual Mm -hmm. I I now realize that and it wasn't intentional but it was you know it's what I knew I was putting myself in situations that were re-traumatizing and at the time it you know it's just probably that dissociation again it was just complete disconnection from Mm -hmm. mind 
Whereas, you know, once I started the healing, I could really recognize that yeah. that pattern and be like, no, I don't want that for me. I deserve better than that. And I deserve to feel because, you know, that's one thing for sure. I switched off during sex. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's once you reclaim, like, mm-hmm. OK, that happened to me. Feel the feelings of mm-hmm. victimhood because, yes, you need to feel it. Do you want to stay there? No, but you need to feel it. And and then you can really see the patterns that that mm-hmm. brings with it. Yeah. Um, so, what what is something that maybe helped you to really accept um, accept this worthiness? You you mentioned you know this idea of of you are worthy exactly as you are. How did you start to really begin to to believe that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point because. It, when you start talking therapy, like this was my experience, I started talking therapy and that's where I really, you know, from having someone that was experienced to reflect back to me what I was saying, I could recognize that I didn't have any self-worth mm. and self-love was a complete alien concept and self-care I was like, well, what the hell is that? Um, because you just berate yourself. Mm. Like you're, I know we are as humans generally quite critical of ourselves, but Mm. add on sexual trauma and the blame, shame and guilt. Yeah. That's a prisoner mind, Mm -hmm. um, where you don't know what self-care is. And Mm. so I love that you mentioned that about how do you then fully believe it? Because it's one thing thinking it and Mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, I need to look after myself and love myself, but to really embody it it's a process right for sure it's it's like I talk about in the book as well about I had this thing about letting it go and Mm. it was from other people saying to me when you're going to let this go when you're going to get over it and so then I was like logically trying to do it just let it go just let it go and it's like no it doesn't work like that and it's the same process with Mm. self-worth it's you have to go through the process and that process is not going to be linear. It's not going to be do X, Y, Z equals this. It will be a squiggly line, roller coaster, you know, just all over the place. And then it's different for each person. And that's why you can't say to someone else, oh, I did this to embody Mm -hmm. self-worth. It's we all start from a different place Mm -hmm. and we will end up in a different place. So for me, I would say some of my biggest tools absolutely was talking you know therapy was definitely the starting point for me but then it was exploring other things like meditation and getting present in my body so again it's about that mindfulness of you know being safe in the present moment so it's all the different practices that do that and Mm -hmm. I've only recently I'd say the last year two years I got familiar with breath work and Mm. it's just so transformational in really moving that energy through the body and processing emotions so I think it's all these different tools that you learn and that you resonate with Mm. that build that muscle I think it's a muscle of self-worth yeah it's not just oh think that you're worthy Mm. to embody it you have to go through a process yeah, it's it's an exercise. It's a practice. Yeah, that for some days goes better for me than others, for sure. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a, a practice of 
I think, you know, uh, for me, a byproduct of, of abuse trauma, um, did I lose you? Oh, I think we lost her. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, hopefully she gets to pop back on. Um, but I was saying, yeah, a byproduct for me was, um, this experience of over people pleasing and over trying to, to compensate, to make sure other people were happy. Cause if other people were happy, I felt like I was in less danger. And so a big part of self-worth and self-care and self-love came from, um, not participating in that, uh, overtly people pleasing and trusting, um, other people. There you are. Yay. I was just talking about, um, people pleasing being a byproduct, uh, you know, wanting to keep other people happy, other people than that, this idea that if I I'm safe, if other people are happy, um, but that is kind of a symptom of then not taking care of yourself because you prioritize other people above you. And so that was a big switch for me was to flip that and be like, you know, I'm taking care of myself first and I trust other people to take care of themselves and, and just really like reclaim that time. You know, it started simply as just like, okay, I'm taking this time for me before I do anything for anyone else. Um, I was watching a great TikTok recently and they're like, if you're, struggling with people pleasing, you know, the first step is to even just be like, okay, me too. If you're like, oh my God, so-and-so needs to eat. So-and-so needs this. It's like, and so do you. So at least include yourself. And then you can get to the point where you prioritize yourself above someone else. But sometimes that's a big leap from take care of everyone else. I'm not important is at least I'm going to be as important as everyone else. And then start taking on my own responsibility for myself above other people. Yeah. I find that even in my day-to-day conversations, I'm realizing people don't know their own needs. They don't know what they need and then therefore don't ask other people Mm -hmm. or or tell people that they have needs. And so the priority is always others. And I'm finding that's coming up for me in conversations at the moment. And I'm, you know, it's not a judgment because for me it's been a learning process to also understand my own needs and share those and communicate Mm -hmm. them but it's just sad that we don't get taught these like surely this is helpful at school like self-care and Mm self-love and you know emotional intelligence like these are really useful things to learn at school not algebra in my (laughs) opinion I know I don't I don't think I've ever used algebra in my life (laughs) not I know I was thinking that the other day about spelling too like my mom was like so avid about spelling and I would get punished if I failed a spelling test and I'm like it is like just not a skill that is you know it's like there's computers they do that for you you know our brain is is meant to do these other things now and and spelling is not one of them so yes I I fully agree with you you know uh this the idea of of emotional intelligence of of being in tune with what your needs are and the uh, willingness to express your needs the willingness to ask what you need and be able to receive no if you hear it um, and to know how to self soothe if you can't have your needs met externally and I mean it's just there's these are huge life skills that I think I yeah I'm I'm baffled that you know it it took me. 20 something years <laughs> to, to figure out. Um, but I'm grateful. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely grateful that, that I, I am aware of this now and, and I have the pleasure of teaching it to people because it is so important. Um, especially I think, yeah, coming out of 
trauma, you have this idea that, that you're not allowed to have needs, that like you're there to serve someone else's needs, wants, desires, power exchange. And, um, and so I think that's a big part of the reclaiming your power, reclaiming your body, reclaiming yourself, your autonomy is that I, you know, I have needs and my needs are important and, and I have the right to ask for what I need to feel healthy and safe and joyful, you know, even just beyond like our basic survival needs is like, no, I have, I deserve like a joyful, passionate, loving experience in my life. Um, so how do you, like, do you have a practice right now? Is there something that you like every day you kind of do something to, to really keep building that muscle of, of self-care and self-love? Yeah, so a big practice. Um, I've continued to meditate for many years now because of how helpful I found it to become the observer of my thoughts. Because that's the thing of you have to be able to observe your thoughts towards yourself Mm -hmm. to then know what pattern you're in. And so meditation has been a huge tool. Um, Journaling is one Mm -hmm. that I found incredibly insightful, particularly when it's prompted Mm-hmm. because and I only found this later um you know in the last few years instead of um diary writing so during therapy and I include some of my entries in my book of when I was in therapy mm-hmm. which is it's interesting because when I was reading them I was like wow like it really had the power to take me back there yeah. because when you've come so much further along it it's quite easy to forget how you felt during that time. And so I found it helpful to have those, but I wish that I'd known about the power of of journaling and how insightful that Mm. could be. If you have prompted journals of, Mm. you know, what are your thoughts towards your body? You know, Mm. those sort of things where that could pull that, that information out quicker Mm -hmm. than just processing it through therapy because therapy itself is not, a conscious process you're not you're not aware of the process the therapist is the one that's taking you on that process whereas journaling is a way that you can pull out the insight that you're looking for specifically by having those prompts so those are my non-negotiable things every day and then I really like to lean into my intuition of what do I need today physically so what's my energy like you know some days I like to go running and that's a really good thing to clear my head but then other days actually my body needs rest and that's something that I'm still working on now Mm -hmm. is not berating myself if I need to rest um so yeah just leaning into what is Mm -hmm. it that I actually need and I think that's that process of recognizing your own needs but also knowing that you can give it to yourself Mm-hmm. you know one process I've had to learn is I didn't get the mothering that I deserved right. and so I can mother myself yeah and that's healing in mm-hmm. itself so yeah those are the things that are definitely my go-tos every day yeah I love that I think reparenting is is such an important part I think for everybody you know um to, to be able to recognize your ability to reparent yourself. And, um, and that's taken so many forms for me. It's taken the form of, of me buying myself a rainbow bright doll because that's what my inner child wanted. It's taken the form of, of me being mindful of what I'm, I'm eating and being like, you know, is this food going to nurture us? And like, you know, in that, 
like, you know, taking time to like cook something really healthy and nurturing is, is an act of love. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I definitely encourage listeners to, um, to explore what it means to reparent yourself. And, and sometimes that will be more deep and emotional and sometimes it will be more silly and playful and, and going and, and sitting on a swing for a little bit and having, you know, um, and just having that relationship with your, with your inner child is such a gift. Um, and I agree with you. Journaling, journaling has been, such, I mean, just hugely helpful to, to get out of my head. It's something I like to do before I meditate. Cause I find it's a good way to like clear my brain and then I can sit easier, um, and be the witness. And I think it's a common misconception, this idea of like, you sit and meditate in silence. Like you, you don't sit in silence. You, you, you know, our brain's brilliant capability is that it thinks. It thinks and it observes and it analyzes and it sorts and it files and it compartmentalizes. That's that's a superpower. Um, so you don't turn it off. You just learn to quiet it down to the point of not following every thought that zooms by and you don't jump on every train. You don't go down every rabbit hole of every story. You're able to just kind of sit back more and more and more. Um, and I think that's where the discernment comes in of like, oh, okay, but this is like an emotional, this is something I need to go back and revisit either in therapy or, or in some kind of other modality that you're using to, to help facilitate your healing. Um, but yeah, just there's, there's a clarity and, uh, and kind of out of the, the chaos and pandemonium of the brain, you get to kind of fun- funnel in on, on what is really the important pieces of, of of where the the mind gets to focus as opposed to it is, is just being f- flung around um, in the, the yoga new age communities, the idea of the monkey mind and you have to like train your monkeys because, <laughs> you know, um, cause yeah, it's like, you know, our brain is amazing, but left to its own devices. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, you, don't, you really want that to be what's running the show. No, definitely. And I think that's what it comes back to again is, you know, leading from, I like to say the heart space because the heart, and it's proven that the heart has its own intelligence. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the mind is a computer, how I see it as a computer. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it puts things into action. How can I do something is Mm -hmm. what the mind can do, but it shouldn't be calling the shots of, because if it spoke to you every day of you're stupid, you're incompetent, you can't do anything then actually that's a, that's limiting you that's holding mm-hmm. you back so when you come from the heart which is you know at your essence you mm-hmm. know you are capable you are inherently worthy you are he- um, inherently lovable then the mind is a different place yeah yeah i think you know we we allow the jo- the mind to take a job that it shouldn't have which is like feeling orientated and emotionally oriented it's like you know our yeah, like you're saying, the the heart center, the 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 like the more the spiritual, the essence, like that. That's that's where the the emotions, the feeling, like that's that's that job. <laughs> and and when we let the mind come in to try to, it's like it's too black and white, and feelings are just too abstract. Our emotions are too abstract. You can't file them. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love um, journaling is a great way to to kind of meet the mind where it's at in attempting to solve the emotional problems and then actually get to, to that essence of self place and, and to really feel into, and, um, yeah, journaling prompts are a great, a great tool as well. 
And what I love about journaling, especially when you're going through healing mm-hmm. from a trauma, is that you can go back and look at your progress because we yeah. often forget that we're not where we oh, used to be. Right. And that's what I did with my the journal I kept during therapy is when I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is like a different person. Yeah. And essentially it is a different version of me. Yeah. And so, but if I hadn't kept that, I wouldn't have been able to, to see the progress mm-hmm. as much, you know. Um, I think it really puts it into perspective. And I think really having that, it's a catalogue of your life of, okay, that was that was that part of my life, but it's mm-hmm. not where I am now. Mm-hmm. So what are the possibilities for where I could be? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful way to set yourself up for success and, and see where... Yeah, honor where you've where you've gone on the journey and and to be open to see because of that progress to know like wow, like so that means there's so much possible. There's so much growth that I can I can keep because it is an ongoing thing. Like you said, it is not a linear, like there isn't some like, oh, congratulations, you finished, you get the the diploma, you've healed your trauma. <laughs> You know, um, as much work as I've done, it's like something will show up and be like, oh, okay, there's that pattern again. There's that thing. Oh, there's some residue left that I I wasn't ready to look at because like you were saying earlier, you know, we begin unpacking this and it's like so much you, your brain and an emotional body just will only allow you to do so much at at a certain time because it's trying to protect you. Um, so that you don't just blow up the computer and <laughs> overload things. So you do need to kind of take it in these, in these little pebbles steps along, along a path and, and be willing to be patient and, um, yeah. and allow, you know, for that progress sometimes is two steps forward and one step back, but you still made a step forward. Like there is still momentum with you, um, just in the willingness to recognize and then show up. So, um, yeah. I was just going to say that um, because that's really important to remind yourself that there's no comparison to other people. So when you are in a group of other survivors, that's amazing to have that. Mm -hmm. But there is no comparison because, as you've just said, it's so important that you recognize that you have to be ready. You have to be where you are on your journey Mm -hmm. and someone else is on theirs. And so it's good to have that connection and support. But you you're only on your own journey and mm-hmm. so when you're ready you know there's still parts of my experiences that I don't remember and I may not ever remember mm-hmm. because the brain wants to protect you from it yeah. so and I respect that now it used mm-hmm. to frustrate me thinking I really want to know and right. but now I just respect that okay my brain just doesn't want me to know that yeah yeah absolutely yeah it is it is you know uh, definitely a, a double-edged sword, the, the challenges that, that come with, uh, with the brain and, and trauma. And so, yeah, to just really have so much compassion, compassion for yourself and where you are at any given time and to just really trust that, that process. Um, so the book is on Amazon. It is life after sexual abuse, a practical healing toolkit to reconnect to the body, mind, and soul. Our guest today has been Stacy glass. You can find Stacy at her website, Stacy S T A C I E dash glass.com as well as underscore Stacy glass underscore on Instagram. Um, we have just a couple minutes left. Is there anything you want to share with our audience before we wrap up? Oh, there's so much to share, but honestly, just 
if anything, I just want this conversation and the work that, you know, people that are using their voice to be in this space is just to have hope that that there is life after sexual trauma and that putting in the work is is worth it like choosing yourself is the biggest Mm -hmm. gift you can give to yourself and yeah just take your time there's no rush and you know the reason why I like to talk with people like yourself is that it's still taboo in society to talk Mm -hmm. about sexual abuse and I one thing I constantly say is it's happening whether we're talking about it or Mm -hmm. not I'd rather be talking about it and protecting other people than just to bury heads in sands. So thank you for sharing this conversation with me. Oh, absolutely. It is my pleasure because I, I fully agree. I fully agree that that the way we are going to dismantle this is by having these conversations. And the more light we shed on this is is going to, um, you know, my dream is that, yeah, that we have a world where this doesn't exist because it doesn't need to because we've integrated our sexual health and our power and our sense of self so much that that these things don't need to happen and and that happens by us talking about it and giving it a voice so thank you for showing up thank you for writing this incredible book um i really appreciate you being here and sharing your story thank you so much it's been lovely to speak to you yeah. And if you need further support, remember rain.org is always there for you. And you can always call also the 800 number 800-656-4673. Um, and you can always reach out to me as well on all the social medias and on my website. I do offer um, a free class to anyone who is a survivor who wants to get the ball rolling. So you have some tools and resources that you need. And there's lots of resources out there for you. So absolutely know that you are not alone and, uh, yeah. And, you know, take care of yourself. Absolutely. So thank you again for being here. Stacy glass has been our wonderful guest as we have unbuckled the world of sexual abuse trauma. And I hope you find a path to healing wherever you are on your journey. I am Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect, and it is always an honor and a joy. Thank you for being here with us. Think about how much sound you hear all the time, noise, music, your own heartbeat. What is it made of? How does it work? How does it affect you? The universe of music takes you into the particles of life and the beat of living. It is an interactive online masterclass of music and science taught by the internationally renowned musician and scholar, Dr. Marcin Bella. Visit theuniverseofmusic.com. That's theuniverseofmusic.com. Are you tired of having the same fight over and over again? Is it hard to remember a time when you felt close to each other? Before you call it quits, do you want to do something to rebuild that spark of intimacy? Of course you do. Ignite the passion like never before with Intimacy Architecture. Text 626-310-5159 to set up your relationship consultation. Again, text 626-310-5159. Thank you for listening to Unbuckled. You can join Christiane Bella for another program with amazing guests, stories, and advice every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to check out our new show coming soon.